right? Yeah. She goes, oh yeah, yeah, I trained with you. You were my instructor when I was eight. And I'm looking at like, uh, but but so I think this generation, a lot of the mystique is gone, but I also think that it, it people appreciate in, in general, from my perspective, the benefits of martial arts are considered more mainstream. Like they're accepted that martial arts helps develop discipline and right. self-control. And uh, let me tell you what, I don't know about you, Ali. For over 260 episodes, Dwayne Brummett and Ali Albarigo have been sharing how to take your martial arts school to the next level. Welcome to another edition of SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Now here's your host, Dwayne and Ali. Hello, Dwayne Brummett here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Ali, good to be with you, sir. Always good to be with you as well, and amazingly excited about today's interview, so I can't can't wait. Yeah, we've got uh, Master Dave Kovar. Do you go by Master or, or Grandmaster? Uh, I try to get my my family to call me Supreme Great One, Oh Holy Man, but they won't do it. It's usually just <laughs> Dad or Dave. Yeah. There you go. I before we started the podcast, I kind of jokingly said to uh, to uh, uh, Mr. Kovar that uh, I kind of always looked at you as you know the not the crazy uncle, but the uncle that I always wanted to see at family gatherings, or the older cousin that I always looked up to, type thing at at family gatherings. And uh, you know, of course, you said that 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 nobody's ever said that to you before, right? <laughs> not not exactly like that, but I'll take it as a compliment. It is, and I mean that in the best way, you know. And that's why I said not the crazy uncle. But anyways, uh, Allie, we're on our uh, 281st podcast or episode of uh, Martial Arts School and Our Talk, and uh, obviously we've had some amazing guests uh, and and uh, on numerous topics and such, but today we do have the privilege of the Supreme Grandmaster, uh, <laughs> Dave Kovar, and he's known obviously throughout the martial arts world, um, and uh, he's undisputed the uh, the teacher of teachers. I mean, he has earned ten different black belts in ten different styles, you know, in varying degrees and uh, in in those styles of martial arts, and has been running. Um, multiple highly successful martial arts schools for over 40 years. And he's spoken uh, as a keynote speaker in various events over 150 times. And he's uh, coached over 500 of, of some of the most successful martial arts school owners uh, in our industry. And obviously we could go on and on of his lifetime accomplishments, but uh, welcome to the podcast, sir. And it's an honor to be uh, be with you here. It's an honor and a pleasure. Happy to be here. You guys are doing great stuff that, you know, we, we People need to have a place to go to to get great information. So I think you guys do a wonderful job of providing that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Coming from you, that's a great honor. I appreciate that very much. Well, and I know the listeners, uh, most of them, the regulars know that, you know, I reached out to Allie and I said, hey, I just, I want to do a podcast. Like I want to give back to the martial arts industry that's given so much to, to me. Um, and if we can, you know, help a school owner from time to time, man, that's just, I think it makes all the difference in the world. Um, you obviously, did you fall in this profession or did you, you know, choose it or, or D all the above? You know, it's one of those things where I kind of fell into it. Right. Uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was running my instructor school from the time I was about 16 in the mid seventies, uh, and, uh, kind of getting paid under the table when he felt like paying me kind of sorta. And, you know, I started junior high, I junior, excuse me, junior college, you know, so it's six months out of high school. Uh, my instructor, one of his, his students, a co-student of mine, uh, had opened up school a year prior that wasn't doing very well. And, you know, next thing you know, said, hey, Dave, do you want to take over this location? And I borrowed some money from my folks and 
uh, stepped in. That was November of 1978. And it was going to be, I, I told my parents it was just going to get me through college. And, uh, and uh, so that was kind of, you know, we struggled for years and years. Uh, and still, it's always a struggle. You know, it's never easy, right? But, but uh, it took a long time to kind of figure out what the heck we're doing. And, and, but then, uh, you know, an interesting thing happened uh, in, in, there was a movie that came out in about 1984. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Oh yeah. Karate Kid. Right. Right. And both. And, and, and just stuff. It was, it was just blew up after that. It was really remarkable. I remember I was working a day job painting houses by day and teaching martial arts in the evening. And this would have been about 1986. Uh, I remember pulling into my parking lot uh, after work and there was like a line of parents with their kids waiting to enroll. It was just, you know, right time, right product. I already loved working with kids. I'd already, there was not a lot of kids training prior to Karate Kid, but I had, a, you know, quite a few anyway. And uh, it was just, uh, there was supply and demand was such that, that there just wasn't a lot of places to go. And there, and, and so in 1987, uh, ironically, the same month I got married, my brother came, older brother, Tim came on as my business partner. And uh, uh, we just, you know, that we just blew up by, by, uh, I probably had like close, I, well, I didn't really keep track of the active count. I probably had like 450 members even back then. But by the early 90s in our one school before we, we expanded, we had uh, our highest active count was 903 members wow. in one location. It was, it was a crazy time. We actually did like 100K in a month in the early 90s. Yeah. Wow. That's, and that's when we were charging like 50 bucks a month for lessons. Right. Wow. <laughs> so, so I, I, I love to ask this question and stay on this topic so that back in that day, I remember this too, with the karate kid, my school, I was teaching for my, my teacher at his school, but, um, do you feel like the industry, you know, jumped on that too heavily and then kind of got it to a point where really the buzzwords and all the karate kid stuff kind of died out? Or do you just feel like it trended out because the world changed? And, you know, I, I know that it was people were coming because they wanted karate values and I'm in the traditions that karate kid showed. Right. And nowadays, I don't think it's looked at as much that way in certain martial arts schools. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? I, it's really interesting. I, 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 there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I, you know, when I started, it was the early seventies and it was Kung Fu series. You know, it was a combination for me. It was, it was the green Hornet, you know, watching Bruce Lee as a kid. Yeah. And, and then the David Carradine, the Kung Fu show is, as a matter of fact, uh, when I started, uh, my first start was wrestling and that was 1971 because my folks wouldn't let me do martial arts. I wanted to, but they considered it like, you know, it was for hooligans, man, you know, troublemakers and what the heck was that stuff? And really, there was no place to go. But uh, but when we finally did get started and it took my brother going away to college for a year, coming back saying, you ought to let, let Dave do, do, do karate. Right. But it, it, although we were like a Kempo school, everybody wore Kung Fu uniforms at our school because that was Dave, you know, because Kung Fu was on show TV. Yeah. And then Karate Kid kind of replaced that. And of course, there was the ninjutsu era. And then there was the. Uh, you, you know, Taekwondo really hit hard in the 80s. And you, you know what I'm saying? So I've seen a lot of different trends. Uh, what I think is interesting is is uh, is I think a lot of our today's parents actually uh, uh, grew up doing martial arts as kids. I was at uh, watching. I was with my wife, who is a uh, preschool teacher last week, and we went to one of her kids baseball games, T-ball game. Right. And one of the mom comes up to my wife and they're talking about the kids. And and it turns out she trained with me as a kid. Right. Yeah. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I trained with you. You were my instructor when I was eight. And I'm looking at like uh, but but so I think this generation, a lot of the mystique is gone. But I also think that 
it, people appreciate in, in general, from my perspective, the benefits of martial arts are considered more mainstream, like they're accepted that martial arts helps develop discipline and right. self-control. And let me tell you what, I don't know about you, Ali, but you know, cause you've been doing this a long time and Dwayne, you're just a youngster. You've been doing it a long time too. But, but, and that is, is that I remember trying to get into the schools like in the mid eighties, like, yeah. are you kidding? There's no way we're letting you into the school. You're going to teach my kids are going to learn to fight and beat each other up. And, you know, it was like it was not it was really a hard or and landlords didn't want to have anything to do with this. Like, right. you know, literally I would call the negotiated building and we would say we're like a personal fitness play. We'd make up all this other stuff because if we said we're a karate school, they'd hang up the phone on us. Right. And now centers want us because they see that we draw this crowd of people to it. So right. I think there's definitely been some negatives that have happened. Uh, but I think there's been a lot of, I think uh, martial arts is way more like mainstream and, and I think of that in more good than bad. Right. Yeah. That's a great answer. Thank you. So Dwayne, you have, you had, we're going to go back and forth, right? You and I. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just find it uh, interesting, you know, when you guys were, um, you know, the way that you saw Karate Kid and the way that I saw Karate Kid were two different things. Because, you know, that was the time that I wanted to be the karate kid, you know, I was, you know, I was the one that wanted to go to the studio type thing as opposed cool. to the one that was running the studio. You know what I mean? So to mm -hmm. see that from that perspective and listen to that is, is pretty neat. I, I don't know. Um, and I don't know if you're the person that even wants to do it, but it, that would be a neat, I don't know, documentary, if you will, from the seventies all the way to now with the trending. And cause I mean, you just, I would, and I wouldn't kill. I mean, that's the phrase you say. I would kill for a line of uh, parents waiting out at my door when I pull up to open up the, you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was definitely a really interesting time. I think it's still a great time to be in the martial arts industry. Here's the big difference. It's, it's, it's never been easy. You, you know, it's never been easy. You know, our, our memory filters out the bad stuff. Just like we all look at high school, like, Oh, high school, but there was a bunch of crap in high school. It wasn't so great when you're actually there. Right. And, uh, uh, but, but I, I think, uh, the difference is back in like the 80s and 90s, uh, you could be mediocre and still be successful. You could be just an okay school, just an okay martial artist with an okay level of enthusiasm, but supply and demand was such to where you could still make a living. Mm -hmm. And anymore, the starting point is excellent, in my opinion. You have to be an excellent teacher because the guy down the street's really good. You, get, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and, 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 and there's the, the general public is so much more knowledgeable about this, that they can't be fooled as much. You know, there was a lot of, you know, before, like, especially even before MMA, there was guys that would claim to, to be able to do stuff. I remember, you know, I, I mean, there was a lot of guys that were hiding behind their belt. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That, oh yeah. That just doesn't happen as much anymore. So I think if you're, if you're, you know, passionate about your products, you know, uh, and I also think that that you guys have both been around long enough to see people come and go like, you know, this guy was really successful in the industry and they, they're, where are they? They're gone. Right, the right. people that are still in business and doing well, thriving after decades are people that have their students' best interests in mind, that have a good product, that are willing to work really hard. There's really no, you know, the secret is believe in what you do, put passion behind it and bust your butt and charge a fair price. And if you do all that stuff, it's still a great time to be in the industry. 
Yeah, and it's, yeah, you're so right, though. I mean, I've seen so many of the super shining, quick superstars that have rose to the top that are no longer around. And I've been around. I, my school this year will be 30 years that we've wow. been open. So, um, and I've seen it all, you know. And people that you know said they're going to knock me out of business and all this other stuff, and I'm around and they're not. So, um, you're right, though. It's all about what you do and your passion for it. So, so I have a question. So back on tradition, because I'm a big traditionalist. I've been to Japan 17 times, trained with one of two in the ninjutsu craze, right? I trained with one of two ninja masters. Um, Dwayne and I have been on podcasts where I've debated people on tradition, some of the main coaches, some really great MMA fighters. So what hey, do you- Allie, 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 before you ask that question, I'm curious, how do you know that you actually trained with, you know, like the ninja masters? Because I- if they were that good, you would have never saw them. That's true, though. Other than that, though, they would allow only certain disciples to Got see it. them. I happen to be one. I had to. I'm sorry. So, so um, speaking of tradition, and I know you're a traditionalist. I've seen you doing kata out on your own and practicing the traditional martial arts. And I find that a lot of the new age coaches are like they're. It's almost like a bad word. They're you know discrediting tradition. They'll say things like, and which is true to some extent. Tradition is nothing more than something you've done for years. But they throw away all of the old school methodology. And and it, you know where I'm going with this. And mm-hmm. I wonder what your opinion is on that because I hold. I'm a holdout. You know, I'm still doing. Yeah. Well, I think tradition is great. I I think being stuck in the past isn't. And, and, and so uh, uh, to me, it's like, uh, you know, my, I don't know if it's my problem or, you know, the thing with me is I've got a bad case of martial arts ADHD. You know, I love it all. And, and because of that, I have a pretty broad base of knowledge, you know, like I do a lot of jujitsu. I've done a lot, do a lot of MMA, but I also do traditional Okinawan Kabuto and Yaido. I still practice that. And, 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 and so what that gives me, it gives me a broad base, but not as maybe as deep as if I just did one thing my whole career. Right. right, right. And, and so I think uh, I could argue either side, but if I was to argue the side of the progressive martial arts, looking at the traditionalist. Right. I would say that a lot of people use the fact this is the way it's always been as an excuse not to learn more or not to train. Like how many guys do I know that have said, yeah, I only I've done this same art. You know, I don't need anything else. This is what I practice. But they don't really even practice anymore. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just they use that as an excuse to not learning new value. The flip side is, is that. Uh, you know, there is so much like my teacher, Sian Makaunis Yuchi, he's my Kabuto and Yaido teacher. And if I was to have a teacher, although I have guys that are coaches in different arts, that would be the guy, my mentor. You know, he's like a real life, a real live, you know, like a living samurai, he just turned 80 years old. He's in amazing shape. He's got all this, these gems of wisdom that are just steeped in traditional, you know, uh, Budo, right? And I just love being around him. And, uh, there's so many there's so many things that we don't understand about why people did certain things yes. that, that that until you understand them you go oh that's why that happens that's but you can also if you don't watch it you can use that excuse not to 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 uh uh you know to grow so i try to be uh, as objective as possible and as open as possible and understand that, you know, uh, you know, who am I to tell somebody else what their martial arts journey should be? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you, you know, if you're benefiting from it, then then who am I to say you should do it a different way? Yeah. Uh, uh, because the reality is, is that 
in my opinion, you know, guy, let me give you a story real fast is that uh, several years back, I went out to lunch with a buddy of mine that's here in, in, in Sacramento and he's a Filipino weapons guy. He's a blade guy. And by the way, I've done Filipino weaponry since the, I still do since the mid seventies. And, and, and I've got a black belt in Dos Paris and I've also got a black belt in Sarada. I did extensive training with Remy Priestess. So I, you know, I, I kind of understand what's going on to a certain degree. And I used to carry several blades cause that's in Filipino culture. That's what you do. Yeah. If you FMA, you carry. And then I, one day I go, well, what happened? Part of it was I was traveling a lot. I kept on losing these really nice blades at security because I'd forget to take them out of my bag, right? So I just decided, what the heck am I doing? I so I quit. I quit. I don't. I don't carry anymore, right? And uh, I almost didn't want to draw that energy, like you know, like I might actually use this on somebody, right? But anyway, I'm out to lunch with this guy, and he goes, "Hey, Kovar, what what are you, what what are you packing right now?" Like, I'm not packing any. What? What are you talking about, man? What? What if you, you know, you, what if you, you could get jumped at any moment? You know, you get a knife fight at any moment. And, and and I go. So why do you train in martial arts? He goes so I can be ready to defend myself. I want to live a long time. He says this as he's eating a double bacon cheeseburger. Right. Right. You know, and the reality is most of us aren't going to die in a back alley knife fight. We're going to die from heart disease or cancer, or, you know, uh, something that that could have been avoided with a healthier lifestyle. And so my point is, is that how does that tie into martial arts? For me, that's part of the process. It's health, fitness, martial arts. It's all combined. And and so that's where like traditional martial arts, a lot of that makes its way into it. It's not just about, you know beating up the bad guy in the back alley. It's about your lifestyle. It's your ability to manage stress and all these things that I think traditional martial arts in general did a better job of than some of the modern stuff does. Well, yeah, that's you, great. You talk, yeah I, I would agree with that. You talk about managing stress. I think that we as martial artists were well equipped to manage stress with regards to the last year uh, of what, you know, what we went through. Um, I am curious on you know, your take on, on, you know, just the industry, how well we handled it. Um, you know, what did you guys do and where you're seeing, you know, things happen right now? Yeah. So like everyone else, you know, March, but ironically, I was, uh, in late February of 20, I was in the middle of a three week, I started a three week tour. I went to Australia, New Zealand, and the UK for a bunch of seminars. I had like 19 seminars over 25 days or something. And, uh, uh, and I, it was really interesting to see how stuff progressed. In Australia, I was there for a convention the first weekend. It was sort of like the, the, the last weekend of February, and it was just starting. And, and then next thing you know, I'm in, in a couple of weeks later, I'm in the UK, and I have to fly home early because they were about to you know, close the borders, and no one knew quite what was going on. Guys were coming on. I remember a guy came onto our plane in a hazmat suit, and they were checking temperatures, and it was just really bizarre. Uh, and so we got back, and, you know, we, of course, middle of March, we're shut down like everyone else. We we quickly got our rice, you know, our resource library was up and running within a day with curriculum, and then we were on Zoom by that Wednesday. You know, you know, so we, but, but we had eight locations going into corporate loan locations, going into a, uh, uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, we had almost 3000 members amongst those eight member stools. And by, uh, uh, we were decimated just like everyone else. We went to just over 1700 members. So we lost about 40% of our student body. Wow. Uh, we ended up shutting down two schools permanently that will never open back up. We might open up other, other ones, but not in those locations. Um, and so we, we fought like, like, you know, just like everyone else did, you know, we were in the parking lot the last summer because we, that's the only place we could train. And we, of course, we've maintained our online presence. We've been on again, off again inside the dojo until the first of the year when we were able to, so 
But right now what I'm seeing is, okay, fortunately we got help from the government. We got, you know, we have, we qualified for the PPP, you know, both loans and that was really, or not loans, you know, it was uh, really helpful. We got our first one forgiven. I'm sure we'll get our second one forgiven. And that allowed us to maintain a high level, uh, you know, a lot of our, our staff members. Um, and we're, we're climbing back. We've had great net new the last few months. We still, we're still, you know, not near, we had almost 3,000 members and we're all, we're at about 2180, I think, right now. So we're climbing back up, but we're still, you know, 800 members away from where we were a year and a half ago. Uh, but I'm optimistic about the future and what I'm seeing in my network with people I'm helping. It's there's, as you guys I'm sure seen, is there's a pent up demand. If, if you're open, it's like there's a, you know, uh, there's people that, that want our product. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of like you can't. It's so much of our time we can spend worrying about the future, like what's going to happen or wishing we would have done something else in the past. But kind of what I'm trying to get across to my team and what I'm trying to focus on is what can I do today? You know what I mean? All right, man. You know, uh, you, what can I, you know, and because nothing feels better than, uh, you know, putting your head to, your, your head down on the pillow after a hard day's work where you are productive. And that seems to and if you can just get your head clear, that's a great way to do it. Then that momentum shifts a little bit. So, so I love what you just said. I, I mean, uh, what can you do today, right? That's, I, I think even during the pandemic, people were so worried about what's going to destroy them rather than working on what they could do to fix or deal with the situation as best as possible. Um, thank God I had Dwayne and, and a bunch of other friends that we went back and forth and, you know, days that we were nervous and scared and we talked our way through things sure. and so on. So that was a great thing. Um, it's sad though. I've seen in my area about 50 martial arts schools schools close um, and some prominent schools, five, mm -hmm. six, seven locations, been in business for 30 years. Um, maybe, maybe they saw it as an opportunity to just check out. Maybe they were wanting to check out and they found a way to do it honorably without feeling bad and disappointing people because they could blame it on COVID. I'm not sure, but um, I think, go ahead. Yeah, I just think it's all of the above, you know, and and also, as you know, because you guys have coached other schools, you know, guys will say, well, that's not in my town. That's that won't work in my town. But this is a this is a new game, man. There are things that are so different in communities like there's a community where I've got a couple clients in get by us in in uh, and uh, a, a town called you, you've probably heard of UC Davis, the co pretty well-known college. Well, in uh -huh. Davis, the ordinances are so strong that if you if you decided to defy, you know, if you were open for business, twenty five hundred dollar a day fine, shut off your power. I mean, all the way down to Texas and Florida, who just business as usual and everything in between. So the, it really is a different era in that. The, the the regional the mood the political you know the, the all the things that are going on in that region in regards to uh, yeah uh, you know the, the the really have had an effect on people um, but yeah. with that said we all have the control the ability to do as much as we can in the environment that we're at that's what we can control right right yeah well we had pretty heavy restrictions here in New York and then we're still under certain you know still thirty three percent capacity there's no real clear guidance of what we could do masks no masks you know vaccinated unvaccinated it's very confusing so I'm trying to navigate it but we're business mm -hmm. as usual so uh Dwayne, you had some more good questions yeah i was going to ask you with regards to now that virtual is on the scene what do you see you know right now with virtual and the future of virtual with regards to the martial arts industry well i, I think for us i know i've got i, I know some people that already quit doing it because they didn't like it and you know that they, they didn't have that big of a percentage of people doing it i never see us not using a uh, virtual again Thank you. You know, you. Uh, you know, we've got a separate program called the Satori Tribe, which is just our online dojo. 
right? And and right now we've still got all our schools that have their own Zoom presence, presence uh, but we will be bringing those together. You know, uh, so right now we've still got all our schools doing their own stations, Zoom stations. By they want to, you know, it seems to make sense to want to combine. But you know, you get to know your instructor, you know the drill. But eventually that'll come together. But you know, I'm doing a seminar next Saturday uh, on Zoom. And I'll have 40 people show up and I don't have to leave my living room. And, and, and you know, I, you know, I, I, as much as traveling is fine with me, whatever I got to do, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find a way to enjoy it. Right. So like, but I, it, prior to COVID, I've, I'm reaching on the road about a hundred days a year and it's been kind of nice not to. Right. And, and even if, uh, so I think going forward, I don't, I'll never go back to that again because I can do, you know, staff training online, you know, the drill. So, yeah. so why would I ever go back? And now the people that were holdouts that didn't want to year, you know, learn how to use it had to learn how to use it. So everybody, right. you know, you know, my, you know, people's grandparents know how to use zoom now. Right. Yeah. And by the way, I, I think it's amazing because um, things like, because of zoom, I have students that are, have moved away many years ago, live in other States, they're back training. And, mm -hmm. and you're right. Like, um, you know, every grandparent that lives in a different state can now witness their their nephew or grandkids ceremony, promotion or whatever, watch a class. I mean, it's brought in a whole new dynamic, which has connected our clientele even deeper to us. So I think Zoom is a great thing. And we have free camera angles. It's working really well. And I mean, I love it. I, I know Dwayne stopped it or was going to stop it, right? Well, I was going to, but you told me not to. And 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 that was one of the best, you know, things that I I. I did was to listen to you. And yeah, we only have probably 25 people that are on Zoom. But had we stopped it, see, what was it, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, me and one of my instructors both got COVID. And, um, you know, we could have continued to run, but um, we decided to just switch all to virtual. And uh, had we not already had that set up, we would have had to do it all over again and get people. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then think about in the summertime, like, you know, I, I know our schools back in New Jersey with Nancy Walzog, she's got two or four locations that are a very strong Indian population and they're gone for six to eight weeks in India every summer. Right. Well, guess what? Last summer we had a bunch of them stick it out. And the same with this summer. And we see it yeah. in our schools here, too. So it's a real easy way to keep people training on vacation and not have to put it, not have to deal with that, you know, quit or hold thing that yes. we all have to deal right. with all the time. Well, yeah, what about you guys record them and then so like we, we record them and then we put them on our app for on demand and we have people that will actually do the on demand and then message us and say, hey, I just did class number. Da, 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 da. Yeah, we have a set. We don't record our Zoom classes, but we have uh, we record all our classes. In other words, so we do like a five week rotation. And and so someone can go into our into onto our app and they can they can get class for a week. It's a pre-recorded one. That's not the Zoom class. Uh, and, and we do have people use it. It's our least popular method. Like if I was just looking at the stats, uh, you know, and, and, and but it's worth doing to be sure. Uh, but yeah, that's an option that, that no, you know, two years ago, nobody would have bought that. But now that's going forward. We'll be able to use that forever now. And are you uh, even with people that are online, you know, um, and only want to do it online? You're, you're charging the same amount, right? Yeah, our Satori tribe, we're messing with the price point. But one of the things, as you guys know, is that we very quickly, we didn't want to, when, when, when we first started going to, to uh, Zoom, you know, a year, you know, in, in March or April of last year, I did not want to drop our rates because I was worried about how long it was going to, uh, yeah, and, and plus it's just as much work for us to teach a Zoom class. It's more, more work. work. More work. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so we were really adamant about not doing it. 
And I'm so glad we didn't, you know, I knew guys that cut their price in half and uh, right. Or, or, or yeah. one of my friends didn't charge anything for zoom classes. Cause he thought it was going to be a, a month growing. I had some money in the bank. I just won't charge anybody this month. And, yeah, yeah. you know, eight months later, you know, you, you get the deal. So we just decided right out of the gate, we were not going to address, we were going to charge full rates. Uh, I think going forward with just, just a, uh, uh, virtual program only, uh, you know, uh, our tests have shown that our price point might be a little high if we're trying to market to someone that lives in Chicago to join our program online for, you know, but, but we're still figuring out, but one, but we did right now, because we have so many of our local members still on zoom, we're, we're not messing with the price yet. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, look at you join a coach, Tony Robbins or somebody like that, that's a motivational speaker or teaching you how to do webinars or whatever. They're going to charge you top dollar. I don't see. And that's all virtual. And half the time it's not even live. So I don't see why we're giving a live class, why we would discount our prices. And like you said, it's way harder to teach on Zoom than it is in person. 100%. And, you know, it, and, and it's just our job is we have to sell the V's and B's to the people that are potential. It doesn't matter that we think it's worth as much. Right. We got to make sure that we find a way to make sure to convey that information to our student body, our potential students. And, right. you know, uh, uh, and that's that's where I think the issue is or what, an issue is. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, what are um, what I would call maybe some stick strategies that you are using for online to keep people engaged? You know, I think first and foremost, you know, you guys are probably familiar with the Instructor's Creed. Uh, you know, I'll teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. I'm patient and enthusiastic. I lead by example. I, I think if for the online climate, teach is the wrong word. It's uh, orchestrate is the right word. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you guys have been teaching a long time. You can like show up on the mat. If you didn't plan class, you look around there, you figure it out. It works. It's a good class. Uh, but with Zoom, man, you got to like sit down and think, all right, here's my curriculum. I can't do this. They can't do that. They can't do this. Normally we do this. You know, how can I make this class amazing when these are these are the, the, the this is my limits? And, and you can. It's just a matter of taking enough time to plan it out. Right. right. And so we've gotten really creative with as as everybody else, you know, with 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 how to, you know, keep people engaged, uh, you know, what props we're using. And and uh, and then we, we kind of do that, like amongst our team, we share that every week. And so we've got actually in our resource library for our staff, we've got a whole, uh, you know, a, a, just a whole inventory of hundreds of different Zoom drills right. and, uh, that, that have worked really well. And so I'll tell you what, it, I've got a Zoom class at 10 and it's, a, it's, it's my staff class. And I'll have, I don't know, man, anywhere from four to 12 people that will attend. And these are all people that work for me. And uh, and I, I I will go to the resource library and I'll go, oh, OK, I know what I'm doing. Because and, and and you all know that when you uh, you guys have been to a seminar, it's it's Monday after you went to a really cool seminar and you got all these cool drills. You can hardly wait to teach your class. Right. Uh, even the way you bow in the class is better because of the excitement you have about this drill you're going to share. Right. Yeah. And and so we can we don't need to go to a seminar to do that. We just need to, we need to take the time ahead of time to really orchestrate how that Zoom class is going to work. You know, yeah. uh, what 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 props I'm going to use, like my one of my favorite props is a bow staff, but not as. Uh, like to use to do like the staff training, but to use it as an opponent to balance it, to sweep it. There's this whole series of stuff you can do that's so friggin' much fun that I'll continue to do it in a live class when when we're back in the dojo and we can make contact. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So so uh, 
that's that's what uh, uh, yeah, so the question is how can I make a zoom class innovative a good workout uh, exciting and beneficial for my student body and uh, that's the question you have to ask and, and then what happens is you'll figure it out but if you think ah oh, crap I wish we could get together and oh, I can't do that drill because we can't make then you're you're screwed you know what I'm saying but if you ask yeah. yourself the right question yeah. the answer will formulate if given enough time I, I talked so many schools out of quitting over the quarantine pandemic because they said things like, I'm a jujitsu guy. I can't do anything. We're, we're grapplers. We're, I can't do it. We're kickboxers. I'm like, no, dude, you could drill every drill. And we have a good friend. He's a former Navy SEAL. And he made a video called the, what it was, the BJJ Buddy or something yeah. like that. He made it, took sweatshirt and a gi and he filled it with pillows. And he taught people how to make the thing. And it's like... 20,000 downloads on the video. And now, mm -hmm. you know, he's traveling all over teaching now. But I mean, for a while, people, he was very sought after just to show the drills of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu sure. without a partner. So it was amazing. In fact, he even came into my school during the pandemic from uh, Indiana and taught a seminar to my students on Zoom. And I, I did it for Dwayne and I, I went to all different places teaching. I mean, physically staying in my living room, but I yeah. went, you know, Florida, Alabama, Chicago, you know, sure. and teaching. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. Totally. So, so I have a question on this too. Uh, Dwayne, did you have more to that question? No. Um, so, so with, um, being that you've coached hundreds and hundreds of schools, and uh, this is not a negative, what do you think would be a few character traits that are either missing in school owners these days that if they worked on them, they'd be that much better or or things that you find that schools do not focus on um, that would make, if they did, it would make their schools better or grow their schools, et cetera? So, you know, I'm a fan of simplicity, right? Uh, you know, and if there's 10 things that it takes to run a successful martial arts school, I don't know that I've ever been able to do more than eight or nine of those. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so why would I add on 12, 13, 14, 15? Right. Uh, and so what, what I see in uh, my schools and our schools and the schools that I coach is I see people sometimes get caught up in this secondary minutiae. You know what I mean? That that like yeah. you know they've got some little subsystem of a subsystem that they're focusing all their time and they're forgetting the big picture. So right. for me, I got to get my camera. Oh, there we go. It's the we call these the five mindsets. And I think at the core of running a martial arts school, if every day you can show up, you didn't need to do that. I'm good, man. Okay, the five okay. mindsets. There you go. <laughs> See my samurai buddy. So that that's my, yeah. my my friend there. I have a very famous uh, guy I went to high school with who is a sculptor. His name is Peter Dietenbrock. He's really well known that's uh, it's a good friend of mine and that's the only piece of art i've ever like requisitioned but so wow. anyway, never mind <laughs> sorry for getting sidetracked but uh so the five uh there we go i'll get my there it is bingo right. uh the five mindsets of a successful martial arts school if you remember every day number one is we're the friendliest place in town okay and that when people whether it be and by the way you apply all these to zoom so let's just talk in general i i, I don't have to you guys will get, you can go either way with this. But uh, what does that mean? You people coming into your school for the first time, you know, some guy, let's think about an adult male that you guys enrolled in the last month or so. You know, they didn't, let's just say you're teaching in-person classes. They didn't drive by one day, go, oh, martial arts, let me enroll. They probably want to do this forever. 
they probably looked at your website. They finally built the courage to walk in the school. They don't know if they're going to have to spar with the sensei for admission or, you know, or break a board or who knows, man, they're kind of intimidated. They yeah. may not let that on, but as soon as you go, Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Boom. <sighs> you know, they're, they're put at ease. Right. So right. the first thing is, is not just from the instructor, but the culture is such to where when people come in, students are welcoming, like, you know, every, orange belt should be the one that reaches out the hand to the white belt. You know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of right. like it used to be the higher the rank, you're the less approachable, the reverse should be shoes. So that's number one. So can we create an environment culture where everybody's friendly and welcoming to new members and existing? That's number one. Number two is we're the cleanest place in town. And of course that's been super important during COVID. So, you know, that we're proving, you know, how clean our, our, our dojo is, etc. And for me, the cleanest place in town also refers to kind of like, a clean mindset like Disney Dojo, not just physically clean, but like, you know, if you're, if you're going to, you know, the language is G rated. Now, by the way, some schools, that's not the case. Some that cater more towards adults or more MMA or jujitsu or Muay Thai schools, they have a different culture. That's fine. For me, our primary bread and butter is we're a family martial arts school. We teach kids and their parents. That's our market. Now we do have, you know, I have a separate jujitsu and Krav Maga program and that we get the, the, you know, the 20 something in there certainly, but that's not our main market. Right? right. So we're the cleanest place in town. Number three is we only teach great classes and never just good classes. And that every time you step out on the mat, you got to remember that 10 to 20 percent of your student body is losing interest. They're on their way out the door. And, you know, none of us train like this. Never. None of us went from here to here in our training. Boom. Right. Uh, you know, it was like it was this. You know, we had good days and bad days. And 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 so we got to get people through the low days. And what does that mean? Every time we step out on the mat, every time we cinch the belt, we got to friggin' deliver, man. doesn't matter how good the class was last week, because think about this. Um, you got a, you got some guy that's on the fence. So Dwayne, you're losing interest. I get you to come back to class. Hey, Dwayne, you're going to be back to class on, on, on next Wednesday. And you go, yeah, okay, I'll be there. And then Wednesday rolls around today rolls around and you, you don't want to go, but you think, ah, I told I told Mr. Culver I'd show up. I guess I'll show up. And then I show up and let's imagine you show up and I deliver the class of my life and it connects with you. Wow. Guess what? You're back on track. Right. Okay. So the, we only teach great classes, never just good classes means, man, you just, that's our product. That's our product is what happens on the mat. Okay. And uh, that's why I was saying earlier that, you know, the, the starting point has to be excellent. We just have to be, you know, excellent. Mediocre is not going to get it. And as Stephen Covey says, you can't talk yourself out of a situation you behaved yourself into. And what that means, if classes are only mediocre, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how slick our quit talk is. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how clean our bathrooms are. If our classes are only mediocre, that's, that, that's it. So number four is we are excellent at student-parent communication. And what that means is I think that's where the, we're weakest as an industry is we forget to give people feedback, both general and specific about how they're doing. Right. Uh, and, and reset goals. Like I know I'm really guilty of taking my black belts and just assuming they're going to be around forever. And so I don't sit down and I don't have the same maybe level of, of, of goal setting that I did with my white belts. Right. And so that's something that that's super important. That's an ongoing relationship. And the fifth one is every day we recruit new members, you know, that we're constantly looking for other people that can benefit from the program. And we kind of got our radar senses kind of focused on that. And if we focus on those five things every day, to me, the rest are details. You know, you got to charge the right price. You, but that's the big chunks that's going to make the difference for us.
I love that. I, I took notes. I was writing everyone that you that you said, and I've heard you say this before as well. But um, it's so good to hear again. And and I think through that, especially what you said about black belts. Uh, traditionally, I remember me being the kind of guy that once you're a black belt, you got to do it on your own. And, and, you know, hey, listen, it's your responsibility by now. You should be able to motivate yourself. However, I have a friend um, and uh, he has a, a one location and he has about 100 active training black belts that have been with him from anywhere from like five years to 35 years. They've been with him. And that's what he does. He maintains them as if they were. He always said to me, treat your black belts like a white belt, maintain them, set goals with them, stay on top of them, schedule their testing and i've been dying to get him to interview he doesn't really like being online on a, on a podcast but i'm one day i'll get him but uh that was important and the other thing i love that you said is only teach classes that are you know amazing like never teach a mediocre class so um i think a lot of instructors depending on their moods what they do they just walk in and and kind of wing it and they they might be in a bad mood so their their students feel it yeah and by the way i've taught plenty of mediocre classes right right but you know here's the deal my intention, so, yeah. Have you ever walked off the mat thinking to yourself, "Hey, I'm pretty good. That was a pretty good class." I'm sure you yeah. guys both have. Yeah. Have you ever uh, have you ever walked off the mat and think, "What the heck happened today, man? I sucked." You know, yeah, that happens too. But but it's really about the intention to teach a great class. Uh, you know, like you yeah. on purpose are mentally going to be fully engaged, and uh, and it's not always going to happen, but it's way more likely to happen if that's your mindset. That's exactly it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, you know, I like uh, you. you you kind of, I mean, you said that you're you simplistic. And when you look at those five, those five things, they are simple. Um, but that's the problem, I think, is that they're so simple that we overlook them. And uh, that's where you had said that that's the problem of, of some of some of us school owners is that we are looking for the next bright and shiny object or focusing on the wrong yeah. thing. And, 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 and what I see is that, uh, you know, people like, like in my coaching, you know, I, I'm pretty straightforward that I'm not going to, you're not going to, you come, if I'm going to be your coach, you're not going to double your gross in a month. You know, it's not going to happen, man. And right. if it does, it's because we did some stupid stuff that's going to cost us, you know, relationships down the line. Right. right. And so, but I'm going to you stick with me and we're going to get you to where you're going to look back in five years and your school's going to have a income that's steadily coming in every month. Your lifestyle is going to be great. Right. You know, and, and that doesn't always appeal to people. People want, you know, yeah. show me how, and you guys have both heard this. Just tell me how to get new members. I keep all my students. Don't worry about right. it. Just show me how to, exactly. which is, you know, to quote Master Ken. Yeah. Bullshit, right? Yeah. You know, it's right. like, like, that's the thing. It's a really a retention business. And once you can, you know, go through the stats with someone about, okay, really, you know, you, you have great retention. Let's take a look. How many students did you have a year ago? And you do the math and they quickly, people will realize, oh, okay. So uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's not that it's, uh, it's a very, uh, it's simple, but it's not easy. Okay. Right. It's a very simple business in the sense of that, you know, like we talked about earlier, step in, you know, be personable, give your best spirit, know your product, you know, you know, charge a fair price, make sure your mats are clean, you know, do all the events that we know to do, you, you know, uh, call them when they don't show up, invite to have them invite their friends, all this stuff. But we get bored with that. Right. And we're looking for some other thing to go with. Right. And we forget now all you got to do is, you know, what, what did Vince Lombardi say when, when, you know, he took over, I think uh, it was after he left the uh, Green Bay Packers and I think he went to the Colts and someone asked him, how are you going to make this a great team? He says, I'm going to make them brilliant in the basics. 
Exactly. You know, blocking and tackling, right? And that's what I think. It, uh, it's not sexy. People don't want to hear it, but it's friggin' the best system for long-term success in the martial arts industry. Well, it kind of goes along with you, Allie, uh, where, I don't know, some some event in the industry where you said that, well, why don't we just talk about stats or whatever it was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's when, when, whenever I would, the people would ask me to submit my topics for the Maya Super Show, um, eventually they stopped asking me to go there because I kept saying, why don't we teach people the basics, you know? And then they were like, well, we want something new that, you know, of course that could be sellable or whatever. And I'm like, how about new becomes old? And, you know, we teach them the very basics, how to run their stats, know their numbers, how to sign people up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it was never sexy enough for them. So that's yeah, what we've spoken in a while. And, and you almost can't, I run into this when we have events, you almost can't blame them because they know they got to give a presentation to the people out there right. that right. want that new thing. You, you know right. what I mean? It's like, okay. Cause like, I, I tell you what, you know, I've got, you know, Elvis, someone asked Elvis, they said, Hey Elvis, you can only play three chords on the guitar. And he goes, yeah, but I can bang the hell out of them. Right. right? right. Well, for me, I've got like three talks. Right. You know, it's, it, but I'll give them a different title and I'll give different, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but, uh, uh, because so when we're doing a, going to do a, a convention, you know, we'd make it a point to try to dress up the title. Cause we know that's what people want to hear something different. And right. if there is, uh, it's not, there's nothing wrong with new information out there, right. And new perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, but at the core, that's great, but you can't forget the basics. You know right. what I mean? you like, like that's gotta be where you're rooted. Yeah. Well, I think that's the same with physical martial arts. Everyone goes into all these fancy moves and they're like, when can I learn a jumping spinning wheel kick? And I'm like, how about we learn how to do a front kick first and we'll progressively get there. But you're right. If people want, they, they want the shiny bells and whistles and, you know, all the fancy things. I, I once caught in Australia at the Super Show there, and I was amazed because back in the day, it was probably about 15, 18 years ago, people, I was talking to school owners, and they were buying my stuff on systems and all this stuff. And I said, well, how many members do you have? And they're like, 600, 700. I'm like, why do you need anything that I'm going to give you? you have, you're doing things right. And it was because they didn't have too much information. And um, they were able to just work hard on the basics. And that's why they were super successful. It was amazing. It's, it's really interesting. I've had the privilege of, uh, you know, being in the UK, like probably 20, 25 times and, yeah. and Australia probably 10 to 12 times now. you like almost every year. Yeah. Uh, and it, the point is in Australia, they have all these super centers. It's amazing. They yeah. have all these crazy, it's, it's, it's a different, it's just a different way of looking at things that that's remarkable, you know, and, and I, I think you summed it up really well. Most of them do the basics really well. Yeah. yeah. And Australians are really interesting because they're kind of like like when you go to the UK and I have friends in both countries now. So it's kind of like I, I don't have to prove myself as much. But yeah, yeah. when you go to the UK, everybody's very polite and courteous. And yeah. And, and uh, when you go to Australia, everybody's kind of like, yes, okay, what's this American got for me, man? You know, yeah, you, know exactly. you know, they're a little bit more. You have to kind of win them over, so to speak. Yeah. Right, but right. once you do, then then then, it, you know, you're you're in good shape. Yeah, well, and I spoke um I spoke for a group called Nest many times in the UK. I and, know those guys, good guys, yeah, Gerard and, and Yeah, Gerard yeah. and his wife, right? And but it was funny when they first said to me and said, "Ali, listen, it's different here. You have to date us before you 
get to sleep with us, right? They said, you know, you, you got to take time for us to get to know you and trust you. So don't just come in and be an American and try to tell them that. And I, I, I wasn't like that in the, anyway, but they sent, they ended up liking me because I would come in and share. I didn't care about anything else, but you're so right though. Even Australia too, when I was there, they were very much standoffish. You had to prove your way in. So yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, more so, stuff. Yeah, I know we're going. Yeah, we've only got a uh, fourteen more minutes left. Yeah. But um, so Allie and I this year, I kind of prompted it, but uh, decided to um, at, at least read a book a month, uh, and then on our podcast talk about that book and share what you know what we what we learned from it, and then you know how we're going to apply it to our life, our business, whatever. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, you know. A couple of books that you would recommend entrepreneurs or school owners uh, read. I was looking around because I've got a whole bunch, right? So, so one that uh, just in, in uh, if, if you this is Tim Ferriss's Tools for Titans. Yeah, yeah it's a very good book. It's amazing, right? So, like, like if I was to be on a desert island, this would be one of them. The one that I just picked up, which is an interesting read, it has nothing to do with martial arts, but it's Sapiens. You probably heard of it. Uh, it's uh, it's really interesting. This guy was interviewed on the Tim Ferriss podcast, and I think uh, Joe Rogan, you know, John, uh, Jordan Peterson talk about him. So it was like it's a really interesting read. Uh, so what I do is I, I like you guys, I read a lot, but I find I've given myself permission that if a, a book doesn't grab me um pretty quickly, I used to I used to finish it out of principle, oh but God. I don't anymore. Yeah, it's torture. Yeah. And then but what I do is I will reread a book uh, like uh, like uh, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Ferris, uh, 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 Ryan Holiday, excuse me, Ryan Holiday, not Tim Ferriss, I'm getting those guys mixed up. It's about Stoic philosophy, which is really what really grabbed my attention the last couple of years. I, I think it's one of the best books I've read in, in recent history. And when I get done reading a good book, I turn right around and I read the thing again. Sometimes a third time, because otherwise what happens, it becomes this cursory kind of knowledge. Oh, yeah, but you don't remember. It was a good book, but you don't remember and you didn't really put it to work. Yep, and, right. and so that's what I've tried to do is narrow down the scope of the books. If I have a really good book, uh, then I'm going to I'm going to try to study it and apply it a little bit more. That works better than me than just kind of pounding through them. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. We had a book that we just recently read, both Dwayne and I, that we just could not get through. And not to criticize and make it look, but the book was just, it was hard to get through it. So I stopped reading it. And, and you're right. I was the type of guy who would power through to the very end and literally torture myself reading that book. Now mm -hmm. I'm, I'm closing it up and saying, you know what, I'm going to move on. I just can't do it anymore. So it's not enough time in my life to waste time on things I can't stand. So that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I just, someone gave me a book a couple of weeks ago uh, that was, uh, you know, it had to do with overcoming, getting on the post end of uh, COVID. Right? right. And I read about half of it because he's, my friend gave it to me and he was going to ask, and it had some good points, but I skimmed the, the first paragraph of the rest of the chapters, you know, just so right. I could like, you know, just uh, out of, but yeah, I was like, I'm not going to do this. You know, it, it's not speaking to me. And right. uh, uh, it was, it was already, it was written last fall and some of the stuff wasn't even, the information wasn't even accurate from where mm -hmm. we're at. And right. I'm not going to waste my time. So, so um, Dwayne, do you have some, we have our, we always have our final question and it's like, we have about maybe 11 minutes, but do you have any more before we lay that final question on? Well, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, um, <clears throat> what your definition of retirement is, you know, do you ever see your, like, I know I've heard some people say retirement to me is really financial freedom. Um, I don't know that I would ever not work, but just the ability to do what I want to do when I want to do it to a certain degree. I'm kind of curious for you, 
you know, what is your definition of retirement for yourself? It's a great question. You know, I already, you know, like I've got, a, I work really hard, but I've got a great team. I could, I could not show up to work for a week and, and pretty much things would be fine. Right. Right. Uh, uh, and so I, I already am in a situation where I kind of do what I want to do for most of the time. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't really know my exit strategy. It's a really good question. I, I, I know that I can't imagine me not, I love martial arts. I love to be around it. I love the whole dojo life, you know, like I love uh, just hanging out on the, you know, train with people and hanging out on the mat afterwards and talking shop and, you know, and, and I love talking with school owners about the business. This is what I know, you know, and I really don't have any other hobbies about it. A, a couple years back. My wife bought me some golf clubs and, and, and cause we live right by a golf course and, and she got me a private lesson and, you know, it was fine, you know, it was fine, but I felt like I was cheating on martial arts. <laughs> Like I, I was gonna hope nobody see me, you know, kind of like I was cheating on my, you, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it just didn't yeah. feel right to me. And this is what I love to do, uh, you know, and I've tried other hobbies, you know, I, I do some whittling and carve some knives and, you know, I do some kanji. It's all martial arts related stuff, you know, right. but honestly, I'm, I'm not the guy that wants to sit around and watch Netflix all day. So I think the definition is, you know, financial freedom, uh, doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And the one thing that I'll probably do more of uh in the next few years is more travel that's not although i love doing seminars travel for the sake of travel most of the travel i do like i'll sneak in a day or two open if i have a family member with me when i'm somewhere but it's usually focused around seminars yeah and, and so like i want to do i want to go to machu picchu i'm going to bring my both my kids that that's their present for college graduation we're going to probably do that next year or so you know that kind of thing is is yeah. where to me, it's really not about stuff. It's about experiences. You know, yeah. that, that's that's more important to me. Yeah, that's actually my goal in life as well, to spend some time within a culture, whether it be Japan for a month or Italy for a month and live in some small, quiet, non-tourist so cool. village and just experience life. Because my dad was a, a retired cop. He passed away a few years back. And um, I, by the way, I loved seeing your videos with your dad. It literally brings a tear to my eye. You know, he's blocking and doing things. And um, my dad was the same way when he passed away. I had no idea that he'd take every one of my articles we written. He had them in scrapbooks. And I just pulled them out the other day. But I, I love your videos. So keep keep doing that. I well, you know, what's interesting is that anytime I'm not feeling the love on Facebook, I just get my dad in there. Oh, yeah. That's all I got to do. You know, it's you like <laughs> so, so our final question is, is not morbid in any way but spiritual and um the question is so let's say on your deathbed or in your funeral um what do you want to be remembered for what would you love to have people had remembered master dave kovar for and uh to say about you what is the ultimate goal if you did that and they said that would would be your goal um uh, maybe maybe somebody who contributed you know it's like uh you know we you think about uh if you look at history and you you think of people we look up to in history, like historical figures. If I was to ask, and I've done this in instructor colleges, the names that'll pop up are Gandhi, JFK, Martin Luther King. Those are the names that always pop up. And uh, uh, and and people that we look on as criminals or, you know, people that are, the, you know, it's, it's Stalin, it's Hitler, the, always the two top on the list, right? And so people that, that uh, we look up to are usually people that gave more than they took, you know? And, and, uh, so there's there's a life that can be you can look at someone's life and you can think uh, you can envy their life or you can admire their life. Let me explain the difference. OK, if you are uh, uh, if you are a, a uh, trust fund kid that grew up with 
buku bucks and lives in the Mediterranean, sipping margaritas every day. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you were dealt a good card. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's a pleasurable life. It's arguable whether it's a joyful life or not, because joy really only comes with service, right? But nevertheless, you can look at that. It's very easy to envy that life, okay? But you look at uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, who is arguably the greatest, you know, American that ever lived and, and you know, his life was rough, man. You know, he suffered, you know, personal tragedy, depression. And, you know, so he's not a life you envy, but you admire it. Yeah. Right. You admire it. And, 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 and I, I would maybe like someone to go, okay, that guy tried hard. You know, he, 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 you know, he was, he tried to try to contribute, you know, where he could to make his, his world a better place. That's awesome. I don't know what I'm doing it, but that that's a you know, since you asked the question, that that would be uh that no, would be my response. You're definitely doing it. I, I met you uh, personally in person. We were at a I think it was the Black Belt Hall of Fame in LA, and we sat online to watch Ernie Reyes's movie release. And you and I were chatting, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I get to talk to you, you know, and and I have your instructor's training manual and and so on. And you were so nice to me and treated me with total respect, not, you didn't, not like you're a higher rank or whatever. And ever since then, I've admired you and watched you and, um, you've done so much for the industry. And if, if you were to go, that would be what people would say, because you've always been generous. You've never, ever, you know, uh, had any ego whatsoever. Yeah. I was going to say humble, very humble, the humblest person. So, um, I can tell you that. I, I just thank you. Thank you for that. I, I just have to do say one thing because uh, I've heard, you know, I have Dwayne, you asked me if, if uh, you know, it's anybody have the uncle thing. I have heard people say, you're, you know, you you don't have an ego and you're humble, which I really I, I, I am super uh, what honored that people think that. But really, I have a massive ego. I just can keep my mouth shut. You know, it's like there's a lot of times I want to say something like, oh, you know, I go, shut up, man. You know, it's no place, you know, uh, uh, I'd like to think of it as confidence, not, but, but, you know, that's something we got to watch and that's what gets you into trouble. I, I know you guys have experienced, like, like if I look back and I think of the, when I've said dumb stuff, it's, it's when I let my ego speak for me, you know what I'm saying? Versus, uh, uh, you, you know, just letting, you know, letting something pass and letting it go. And, uh, so I'd be, I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at, uh, if I've got an observation that's not positive, I'm pretty good about, uh, you know, trying to check myself. I'm learning that more and more, especially with family. Um, my, I, I, the other day, my family was like together at a family gathering and I'm started voicing my opinion about COVID and this and that. And I'm like, you know, I told my fiance uh, afterwards, I said, I got to learn to just shut up because I don't want people <laughs> to hate me. You know, and, and I think as martial artists, that's what we do. We teach, we voice our opinions, we're strong minded. But um, and if we weren't, we wouldn't be great teachers, would we? I think so. Um, but you're right though. Learning how to not talk certain times and just listen is a very big thing. Well, I always uh, likened you like, so my favorite speaker of all time is Zig Ziglar, all time, Zig Ziglar. And I always likened you to the martial arts to Zig Ziglar. Cool. I, no, seriously. I mean, it's just the way that you are able to connect with people, the simple yet deep um, language and stories. Uh, I mean, all of that from even back to like go uh what is it the the character development um character program. training development right yeah yeah uh -huh. i mean that I, gosh i i read those and like that to me that's zig ziglar teaching kids like that well that was strongly influenced you know I, you, back in the day i went to 
Tony Robbins seminars for days. I also did a couple weekends with Zig Ziglar. As a matter of fact, I rode in the elevator with him in the redhead one time yeah. back in, in like probably about 1989. It was great. You know, what's so ironic is that I just went to a Tony Robbins seminar like three weeks before and it's crazy and there's hugging and cheering and singing it. And I go to a Zig Ziglar seminar and it's in Texas. It's very conservative and they're kind of clapping their hands and, woo, you know, it was, <laughs> but it was great. He was the coolest guy. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's funny, Dwayne, when you said that, it, I got like a stream of hearts angry faces and wow faces all you know the the icons the emojis coming through the screen so i don't know if they were just hitting like crazy hitting the wrong ones or you you hit a nerve on the zig thing. <laughs> oh well i i don't have to defend zig because uh yeah. he, he was the man so i yep. just i'll leave that to everybody else <laughs> so, sir, I'll, no 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 i'll take a cue from dave <laughs> so sir I, I i'm honored thanks for being here with us super appreciate you and thank you for you know giving us the privilege because all i had to do is reach out to you and you were like yep no problem you know we found a date and you were willing willing and able to share so thank you so much i appreciate it i know Dwayne does and uh oh, yeah, thank you for being it's here. my privilege and honor nothing funner than talking to fellow martial artists about what we do this this is great fun enjoy this awesome thank you so much yeah appreciate it in closing any any uh final thoughts that you want to give the martial arts industry before we end or anything, you know, that, it, anything that you're plugging to, if you have any kind of your yeah, program. Yeah, yeah. Take care of the days and the years take care of themselves, man. You know, just kind of what can you do today? Uh, the the other thing I would say, anybody that's interested in in uh, weapons training, a uh, week from Saturday on the 12th, I'm doing a, a like a Zoom. Uh, you can go to Cobar Systems to find I'm doing a, a workshop on comma. And I'm doing it's traditional comma, as I learned from Sean Nishiuchi, and also Mackenzie Emery, who is one of my students, who's like the number one you know, woman's competitor in the planet is, is going to do a portion on kind of competitive comma, the two extremes. So no, uh, details could be at Cobar Systems. When is that again? That's going to be uh, Saturday, June 12th. Okay. All right. So a couple Saturdays from now. Perfect. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. So we'll, we'll, hopefully we could have you on again in the, in the future. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And then Dwayne, I think you have our outro and we're going to play that as we go. So it's, Master Kovar, thank you so much. You have a great My day. My pleasure, man. Have a good one, guys. Okay, take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Martial Arts School Owner Talk Podcast. This would not be possible if it weren't for the support of our amazing sponsors. Please check out EliteInsights.com for all your website needs. LeadHunterMedia.com, your online digital marketer and content provider. Academy Kings BJJ Growth Consulting and Management at GrowMyAcademy.com SparkMembership.com The best darn software for school owner manager on the planet. GetKarateStudents.com A martial arts growth consulting company for all your school systems. We will see you next time.